Hey everyone, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 20, recorded on June 4th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. So for this episode, we'll go through the market update. We've got some Bitcoin news, uh, New York Bitcoin mining ban. Janet Yellen admits she was wrong on transitory inflation. And Bitcoin bounces as analysts presents stock-to-flow Bitcoin price model rehash. And then I'm going to finish up uh, talking about Bitcoin price. So we'll review historical chart, uh, look at the stock-to-flow model, talk about um, Jurian Timmer's recent uh, new take on the uh, supply and demand model, and talk about a couple other folks' um, projections on uh, the Bitcoin price. Okay, so moving right into it. The market update. Stocks fell sharply on Friday to cap their eighth weekly loss out of the last nine. As a stronger-than-expected report on U.S. non-farm payrolls suggested the labor market remains robust enough for the Federal Reserve to raise rates quickly. The benchmark 10-year Treasury yield climbed above 2.9% after the report, leading to outsized losses among tech stocks. Sentiment was also hurt by a report that Tesla's Elon Musk may be considering job cuts on worries over the economic outlook. Musk's misgivings followed comments earlier in the week from J.P. Morgan's Jimmy Dimon, who said he foresees an economic hurricane ahead from the war in Ukraine and the Fed's tightening policies. All three of the major market indexes finished negative for the holiday-shortened week, with the S&P 500 shedding 1.2%, and the Dow Jones and NASDAQ each down by about 1%. So another wild and crazy week in the markets. Okay, uh, moving on to the Bitcoin news. This is from CNBC. New York just passed a bill cracking down on Bitcoin mining. Here's everything that's in it. Following an early morning vote in Albany on Friday, lawmakers in New York passed a bill to ban certain Bitcoin mining operations that run on carbon-based power sources. The measure now heads to the desk of Governor Kathy Hochul, who could sign it into law or veto it. If Hochul signs the bill, it would make New York the first state in the country to ban blockchain technology infrastructure, according to Perry Ann Boring, founder and president of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Industry insiders also tell CNBC it could have a domino effect across the U.S., which is currently at the forefront of the global Bitcoin mining industry, accounting for 38% of the world's miners. The New York bill, which previously passed the state assembly in late April before heading to the state Senate, calls for a two-year moratorium on certain cryptocurrency mining operations which use proof-of-work authentication methods to validate blockchain transactions. Proof-of-work mining, which requires sophisticated gear and a whole lot of electricity, is used to create Bitcoin. Ethereum is switching to a less energy-intensive process, but will still use this method for at least another few months. The push for an 11th hour vote came as leadership in the state capitol managed to flip some of the senators who were previously undecided. 
Lawmakers backing the legislation say they're looking to curb the state's carbon footprint by cracking down on mines that use electricity from power plants that burn fossil fuels. If it passes for two years, unless a proof-of-work mining company uses 100% renewable energy, it would not be allowed to expand or renew permits, and new entrants would not be allowed to come online. The net effect of this, according to Boring, would be to weaken New York's economy by forcing businesses to take jobs elsewhere. This is a significant setback for the state and will stifle its future as a leader in technology and global financial services. More importantly, this decision will eliminate critical union jobs and further disenfranchise financial access to the many underbanked populations living in Empire State, Boring tells CNBC. It is a sentiment echoed by Galaxy Digital's Amando Fabiano, who says that New York is setting a bad precedent that other states could follow. As for timing, the law would go into effect as soon as the governor signs off. One section of the bill involves conducting a statewide study of the environmental impact of proof-of-work mining operations on New York's ability to reach aggressive climate goals set under the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which requires New York's greenhouse gas emissions to be cut by 85% by 2050. Boring tells CNBC the recent swell of support in favor of this year's proposed ban has a whole lot to do with this mandate to transition to sustainable energy. Proof-of-work mining has the potential to lead the global transition to more sustainable energy, Boring told CNBC's Crypto World, pointing to the irony of the moratorium. The Bitcoin mining industry is actually leading in terms of compliance with the act. The sustainable energy mix of the global Bitcoin mining industry today is estimated to be just under 60%, and the Chamber of Digital Commerce has found that the sustainable electricity mix is closer to 80% for its members mining in the state of New York. The regulatory environment in New York will not only halt their target, carbon-based fuel-proof of work mining, but will also likely discourage new renewable-based miners from doing business with the state due to the possibility of more regulatory creep, said John Warren, CEO of institutional-grade Bitcoin mining company GEM Mining. A third of New York's in-state generation comes from renewables, according to the latest available data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. New York counts its nuclear power plants toward its 100% carbon-free electricity goal, and the state produces more hydroelectric power than any other state east of the Rocky Mountains. The state also has a chilly climate, which means less energy is needed to cool down the banks of computers used in crypto mining, as well as a lot of abandoned industrial infrastructure that's ripe for repurposing. In a conversation at the Bitcoin 2022 conference in Miami in April, former presidential candidate and New Yorker Andrew Yang told CNBC that when he speaks to folks in the industry, he has found mining operations can help to develop demand for a renewable source of energy. In my mind, a lot of this stuff is going to end up pushing activity to other places that might not achieve the goal of the policymakers, said Yang. Some in the industry aren't waiting for the state to make a ban official before taking action. Data from digital currency company Foundry shows that New York's share of the Bitcoin mining network dropped from 20% to 10% in a matter of months as miners began migrating to more crypto-friendly jurisdictions in other parts of the country. Our customers are being scared off from investing in New York State, said Kevin Jang of Foundry. Even from Foundry's deployments of $500 million in capital towards mining equipment, less than 5% has gone to New York because of the unfriendly political landscape, continued Jang. So uh, 
this is obviously disappointing, but um, I kind of have a different take on this energy FUD uh, now. Um, it's really three, maybe four simple questions. Um, number one, does Bitcoin use energy? Yes. Number two, is it a large percentage of the global or even national uh, energy power consumption? No. Number three, is it worth it? Yes. And then question number four, why? Well, it secures the network and it's a worthy effort. So all this talk about renewable, non-renewable really, you know, it is true that, that uh, Bitcoin can encourage renewable energy because it doesn't need to be located where the people are. It can be located wherever the energy is cheap and plentiful. In fact, that's how the economics of mining Bitcoin works. You can't make money mining Bitcoin if you're paying retail price for uh, power. You have to get the cheapest possible power. Where's the cheapest possible power? Hydroelectric plants that are located far away from um, populations. Uh, deserts where there's lots of solar power or uh, lots of wind. Um, uh, or, you know, a nuclear power plant in the middle of nowhere. Um, you could mine Bitcoin there. And uh, so anyway, um, but those are, those are my thoughts on, on that. Moving on, uh, also from CNBC, Yellen says the administration is fighting inflation. Admits she was wrong that it was transitory. And so this article here is just, again, another reason why, um, you know, you want to have Bitcoin in your portfolio because, um, you know, the, the, the government knows that by printing all this money, by giving it to people during the pandemic, um, it's created inflation and uh, they haven't really been honest about it. And now it's, it's too big to ignore, so they have to come out and acknowledge it. And it almost feels like Yellen's being the fall guy here. So anyway, here's the article. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen emphasized that the White House has several strategies ready to go that will reduce an inflation burden she conceded is too high on Americans. In an interview Tuesday with CNBC's Becky Quick, Yellen listed efforts aimed at prescription drug costs, the budget deficit. By the way, prescription drug costs are, you know, big expense for some people, but it's not like as big as food or gas or housing. The budget deficit um, and oil production that could bring down prices running near the fastest pace since the early days of the Reagan administration. The remarks came the same day President Joe Biden met with Yellen and Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, whose institution has begun fighting inflation with interest rate hikes. The president emphasized his intention to do everything he can to lower the costs that Americans face for important items in their budget, Yellen said in describing the meeting. She noted prescription drugs for utility bills, things where the president acting in his own or working with Congress can make a difference, and also his support for deficit reduction. And again, I think prescription drugs and utility bills is just a, is a distraction. I mean, that's not really where people are spending their money. 
In both a statement before the meeting and an op-ed piece for the Wall Street Journal, Biden stressed the Fed's role in bringing down prices. In other words, blame the Fed for inflation. The journal piece specifically said, first, the Federal Reserve has a primary responsibility to control inflation. Meanwhile, Yellen, who was Powell's immediate predecessor as head of the central bank, also noted that responsibility. The Fed has a dual mandate and it is maximum employment and price stability. I think that's the way it's phrased in the law, she said in the interview that aired Wednesday on Squawk Box. But we are at full employment. We have a very strong labor market. That's been achieved, but inflation is way too high and it's really a big burden on American households. And so maintaining full employment while bringing inflation down, that's the president's priority. And I believe that's consistent with how the Fed sees its programs. For its part, the Fed has approved two rate hikes this year, totaling 75 basis points. Officials have indicated that additional 50 basis point increases are likely over the next several meetings, after which the central bank can evaluate the impact that monetary policy tightening is having. Of course, we've already seen what what little they've done, 75 basis points already, what kind of damage that's already done to the bond market, stock market, cryptocurrencies, and even real estate now starting to suffer. So that's why everybody's saying they don't think that they can really do a whole lot more uh, than that. Um, So they're, I think, really hoping that inflation um, starts to slow down. Both Powell and Yellen spent much of 2021 saying inflation was transitory and likely to abate once COVID pandemic specific factors such as supply chain problems and outsized demand for goods over services returned to normal. In a separate interview Tuesday, Yellen admitted she was wrong. I think I was wrong then about the path that inflation would take, she told CNN's Wolf Blitzer. There have been unanticipated and large shocks that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I at the time didn't fully understand. In the CNBC interview, Yellen said a spending package could very well have reductions on the cost of prescription drugs that would make a difference to every family that has drug costs as part of its household budget. While she said that could make a difference very quickly, most of the administration's plans likely would take longer to filter through the economy. Biden has frequently blamed the Russian attack on Ukraine for record high gasoline prices but energy costs were already climbing sharply higher before the war. The administration also has said energy companies are sitting on thousands of oil leases that could allow greater production, though those leases likely would take years to develop. Okay, and then moving on, the uh, next article here, Bitcoin bounces to 30.7K as analysts present stock-to-flow BTC price model rehash. Uh, data from Cointelegraph, MarketsPro, and TradingView showed Bitcoin gaining steadily to hit 30,670 on Bitstamp before consolidating. The mood among stocks was more solid during the June 2nd session with the S&P 500 reclaiming the majority of its lost ground over the past month. The NASDAQ composite index ended up 2.7%. Analyzing the crypto market cap compared to the NASDAQ, popular analyst TechDev noted what could be an incoming inflection point. 
Fellow trader and analyst Pentoshi, meanwhile, issued a sobering outlook for the S&P 500 on weekly timeframes going forward. Bitcoin itself continued to face calls for retracement, which would eclipse May's 23,800 lows. Crypto Tony still targeted between 22,000 and 24,000, demanding a break of a trend line currently near 32,500 to consider long scalping. Bitcoin held to the 30,000 level, so long would be an intact from the 29.3 region. Cointelegraph contributor Michael Van de Pop added in his short-term strategy. Zooming out, one on-chain analyst became the latest to take on the increasingly controversial stock-to-flow BTC price model. Having failed to validate its 100,000 year-end prediction in 2021, stock-to-flow has become increasingly sidelined as its creator Plan B fields criticism. While acknowledging the model's potential shortcomings, Jurian Timmer, head of global macro at on-chain analytics firm Glassnode, revisited it, offering a tweak that he argued would serve to increase its utility. It's time for a fresh take on Bitcoin supply demand dynamics. A dedicated Twitter thread began. Timmer proposed taking into account Bitcoin supply curve to produce more conservative trajectory for price growth. The result he considered had retroactively already captured Bitcoin price action more accurately than the raw stock to flow projections. If accurate, it suggests still robust, but less pie in the sky upside than before, maybe even several years of sideways in line with the halving cycle and likely continued volatility, he continued. Plan B had noted that the May monthly close had been Bitcoin's lowest since December 2020. As Cointelegraph reported, the next block subsidy halving event is increasingly figuring as a line in the sand for a return to bullish strength. So I'll talk a little bit more about the Jurian Timmer uh, analysis uh, later on as I get into Bitcoin price, but I thought this was kind of an interesting piece. Um, there's a lot of opinions out there about short-term price action. Um, but uh, what's really more important if you're investing in Bitcoin is the long-term uh, outlook. Okay, so then moving on, um, we'll talk about Bitcoin price. And I'll, I'm going to, I will include a link in the show notes uh, to my Substack because I'll have some charts um, in there that, that you know, I won't obviously be able to show you but I'll try to walk through the data uh, as best I can. So um, so basically I've written a lot about why Bitcoin's a good asset to own as part of a diversified portfolio. I think a lot of people would agree with me, not just the hardcore, hardcore Bitcoiners, that Bitcoin has um, three really key qualities. One is it can be self-custodied and held outside the banking system. And that's a, a good hedge if you don't trust global central planners. And, and I think like gold bugs and libertarians would understand that concept pretty well. Um, it's also absolute scarcity and, and a fixed supply. And it can be transferred peer to peer without an intermediary. So the one thing we know the supply is fixed at 21 million. Uh, that's when eventually uh, when all the Bitcoin is mined, how, uh, how much will be outstanding. But the one thing that's hard to determine with Bitcoin is the demand for it, you know, both short-term and long-term. 
So clearly adoption globally is the main driver of demand over the long haul. And in the short term, monetary policy correlation with other markets, you know, like, you know, it's been correlated in the past with, for example, with NASDAQ, um, speculation, and then action by large owners, uh, Bitcoin, the whales will create, you know, a lot of uh, short term price volatility. Now, I haven't talked much about price action um, in the past. Um, I'm more focused on the bigger reasons to own Bitcoin. But I think everyone gets interested in Bitcoin for the number to go up and uh, and then they stay for the re for the revolution, <laughs> as they say. So I wanted to devote this to really this discussion really to just a recap of historical price action um, and then um, We'll go through the stock to flow model um, and then this newer take from Jerry and Timmer and then a couple other price targets. Um, so the historical price of Bitcoin, uh, you know, is it, it's it's uh, it's it's bouncy. <laughs> and uh, so when you look at the look at it just on the regular chart, um, it uh, starts out at a very low level, kind of spikes, goes down, and it kind of goes into a double peak, and and uh, it kind of flattens out. When you look at a logarithmic chart, which is a better um, way to look at something with this amount of volatility, you see more of a uh, you know smoother um, long-term upward trend, which is what we've seen you know with Bitcoin since it was first came out. So I first got involved in Bitcoin, uh, of course, at the peak of the last cycle in 2017. Um, I think I made my first purchase um, at the peak, uh, which was around $19,000-$20,000 in December 2017. And then it kind of plummeted down to a low of about $3,400 in early 2019, which, you know, from the peak to the bottom was about an 82% drawdown. So that's enough to shake the confidence of most people. But fortunately, I was buying really small amounts and I was just dollar cost averaging every month. So I just kept buying and holding. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever sold any of my Bitcoin. I just keep accumulating it. But uh, more recently, the price after spiking to that uh, recent new all-time high of about 65000 has dropped back down. Um, it's been as low as the mid-20s um, to the low 30s. Uh, so it's been kind of bouncing in that range, but roughly a 50% drawdown from that peak. And despite all the turmoil in the stock and bond markets, Bitcoin seems to have settled into a range that's well above the prior 2017 cyclical peak of, uh, you know, $19,000, $20,000. Now, some people have called for much lower prices yet to come. Uh, Scott Minard of Guggenheim uh, was recently interviewed on... Uh, I think it was CNBC, and he said he could see $8,000 for Bitcoin. Um, I think a Bitcoin sell-off of that magnitude um, would would really have to be driven by a, an even more cataclysmic sell-off in the stock market. You know, and we're, I'm thinking like almost like a 1929 level type crash. Um, now we can't rule that out completely, of course. But I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to let that happen. 
And I could be wrong, but I think it's only a matter of time before they go back to easy money policies with, with just the massive amount of debt in the system. You know, the national debt's over $30 trillion. That doesn't even include the unfunded Social Security and Medicare liabilities. And then, of course, you've got our, our highly leveraged, interconnected global financial system, which is based on dollars. It just can't handle higher interest rates for, for that long. Um, and, you, and you can already see the stresses um, building and in, in obviously in the, the bond market and the stock market and real estate is starting to slow down and and, and cryptocurrencies gotten destroyed and, and um, you know, the list goes on. Indeed, I mean, we might even already be in a recession and there's nothing like a recession to lower aggregate demand and ultimately reduce inflation. Um, last week, we saw some companies announce hiring freezes like Coinbase and layoffs like Tesla. Um, uh, also, an uh, interesting tidbit I came across was that the there's a chart that the uh, uh, the Fed puts out on their data uh, on uh, demand for vehicles and uh, heavy trucks, and uh, both of those are showing a pretty pronounced downtrend. Um, you know, from, uh, from the peak, I guess, in, uh, you know, early 2021, as we recovered from the pandemic. So, um, that would certainly indicate that there's, uh, you know, weakening demand and, uh, you know, the economy is uh, slowing as people pull back on those purchases, especially the heavy trucks, because that has to do more with supply chain and logistics. Um, so it seems like we're likely soon to see a decrease in the rate of growth of inflation. So maybe, maybe it goes down to five or 6% from where it is now, um, over 8%. And that would most likely give the fed cover to pivot back to looser financial conditions. Um, that should calm, not only calm the markets that would probably result in the markets taking off. Um, since the Fed put, as they call it, would be back in place. Um, anyway, so moving on, the stock-to-flow model is one tool that Bitcoiners have uh, used to try to estimate the trajectory of Bitcoin price as adoption unfolds. Basically, it models the stock, which is Bitcoin's currently in circulation, and the flow, Bitcoins to be mined in the future. Future Bitcoin issuance increases at a slower rate with each halving cycle when mining rewards are reduced by half every four years. Ultimately, you know, the total amount issued peaks at 21 million. Um, Coinglass kind of goes into more detail. Um, so I, uh, this is just a kind of a direct quote from them, but this model treats Bitcoin as being comparable to commodities such as gold, silver, or platinum. These are known as store value commodities because they retain value over long time frames due to their relative scarcity. It is difficult to significantly increase their supply, i.e. the process of searching for gold and then mining it is expensive and takes time. Bitcoin is similar because it is also scarce. In fact, it is the first ever scarce digital object to exist. There are a, number, a limited number of coins in existence and it will take a lot of electricity and computing effort to mine the 3 million outstanding coins still to be mined. Therefore, the supply rate is consistently low. <clears throat> stock to flow ratios are used to evaluate the current stock of a commodity 
total amount currently available against the flow of new production amount mined that specific year. For store value commodities like gold, platinum, or silver, a high ratio indicates they're mostly not consumed in industrial applications. Instead, the majority is stored as a monetary hedge, thus driving up the stock-to-flow ratio. A higher ratio indicates that the commodity is increasingly scarce and therefore more valuable as a store of value. So when you look at the stock-to-flow chart, you can, and you'll have to imagine this, but you can look at the, the post if you want to check it out later. Um, uh, Bitcoin has shows clear cyclical peaks um, in the bull markets in 2013 and 2017, where it rises well above the stock-to-flow line. Then it reverts back to the line, dips below before returning back to the trend line. So we're currently trending below that line uh, now, which is why um, a lot of people have drawn into question whether or not the stock-to-flow model is accurate. Um, but, you know, in some ways it's not surprising since, you know, everybody generally agrees Bitcoin is, uh, and other cryptocurrencies for that matter, not to mention stocks and bonds, are currently in a bear market. So, um, and then this particular stock-to-flow model peaks and, uh, or rises too, I should say, because it continues to rise after that at a fairly low rate, um, but it rises to 700000 per coin by mid-2025. So just this past week, as I mentioned earlier, Jurian Timmer, um, who's the director of global macro fidelity, um, he's a pretty strong Bitcoin supporter, came out with this new take on the Bitcoin supply and demand model. Um, by looking at adoption curves of similar technologies, thinking of Bitcoin as internet payment technology that's analogous to mobile phones or the internet in general, he suggests that perhaps Bitcoin's growth curve is more mature than he previously thought. And based on that assumption, he suggests that the price in the next five years would be 71,000 if using the internet model, 307,000 using a modified supply model, and 578,000 using the mobile phone model, which he deems a more, a quote, more viable analog. Now, there are others with more aggressive price targets, including Kathy Wood, who was recently quoted in an interview on Yahoo Finance, um, seeing the price target of 1 million between 2026 to 2030, due to institutional investment adoption driving the relatively small market cap higher with just a small reallocation, 2 to 2.5% 2 from other assets such as bonds, stocks, and real estate. So she kind of comes at it from, from a different angle. Um, and I did mention last week in my podcast that JP Morgan uh, recently announced that Bitcoin is the, its preferred alternative asset over real estate, which, again, bullish for adoption. Um, another uh, person I follow, Arthur Hayes, um, who's co-founder of 100X, um, he also has a, a million dollar price target for Bitcoin, um, mostly driven by macro forces that will be unleashed when when not if the Fed pivots back to easy money policy uh, for some of the reasons that I outlined earlier. He also sees pretty moderate downside risk from current levels. Um, so that's uh, kind of interesting as well. So in summary then, you know, with pr current prices hovering around 30,000 um, in almost any of the scenarios uh, that, that um, that I laid out, Bitcoin represents an investment that presents relatively low downside risk um, 
relative to its upside. So some traders call that asymmetric. When you add in all the other reasons to own Bitcoin, including censorship resistance, scarcity, peer-to-peer transfer without an intermediary, and self-custody, I actually think it's more risky not to have some Bitcoin than it is to have some in your portfolio. People in the developing world have already learned about the benefits of Bitcoin as they faced hyperinflation, collapsing currencies, capital controls, and authoritarian governments. The Western developed countries have not had to deal with these situations historically, but that might not always be the case, especially with massive and growing um, national debts. As I um, talked about last week, we shouldn't think that it can happen here. Obviously, you need to make decisions about your allocation percentage, and if you can't sleep at night, you probably have too much Bitcoin in your portfolio. But uh, if you're interested, you might want to check out my uh, monthly asset allocation updates um, in my uh, Substack. Uh, if you're interested, how I maintain a diversified portfolio that's designed for times like these. And um, also last week, I talked about diversifying your life and assets internationally, if you're interested in that as well. So that about wraps it up. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Reichert. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.